Thank you. Oh, that Pastor Chris, he sure is funny. But I don't want to poke fun back at him because truthfully, I'm above that. And besides, he was on, like he said, a mission trip all week. I mean, he was, he was doing the Lord's work. And I'm betting all the people there that were building things and working with power tools were sure glad he was there, huh? <laughs> but seriously, I've always said, Chris Bunch does the work of three men. Curly, Larry, and Moe. <laughs> Pastor, I really didn't think you'd be here this morning, so... I- I thought you'd be seeing that on the live stream, so. Well, good morning, everyone. A little humor to start us off with, because truthfully, we're probably going to need this today. You know, something that I think that every one of us has in common, regardless of uh, age, race, financial status, is that we've all pondered what happens when we die. We have all looked around at some point and wondered, there's got to be more to life than this. So for the next two weeks, we're going to answer these questions with a mini-series, and we're calling it Eternal Realities. Now this title comes from two verses from the Bible, and the first part of the title comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, and I want to read it to you. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now the second part of the title comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. It says, right now we are looking in a mirror that gives only a dim reflection of reality. But one day we shall see reality face to face. So the meaning behind this is that you and I tend to focus on what we can see, what we think to be true. But Scripture tells us that we only have a glimpse of the full picture. And when we only understand or if we focus on a portion of something, we tend to misunderstand. We tend to be confused at times. A teenager brings her new boyfriend home to meet her parents, and they're appalled by his haircut and his tattoos, and his piercings. Later, the girl's mom said, Dear, he doesn't seem to be a very nice boy. Oh, please, mom, said the daughter. If he wasn't nice, would he be doing 500 hours of community service? (laughs) You see, not everything makes sense when you only focus on certain parts of things. Take life. For instance, when we put our focus on what we can see, Scripture tells us that that's only temporary. What we can see is not going to last. Our bodies, uh, physical structures, everything material is only temporary. Everything we can see with our eyes is not going to last. But the things that will last are the things that we cannot see. The things that are of the most importance are the things we cannot see. That's eternal realities. And deep down, deep down we know this. We feel this. That's why 
our minds drift. That's why our minds ponder things. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 tells us God has planted eternity in the human heart. Meaning in every human soul is a God-given awareness that there is something more. Something beyond what we can see or feel. Something beyond the physical time that is spent here. But what is it? Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So the Bible's pretty clear that physical death is not the end of everything. That there is, in fact... Something more. Second Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So, we will die. We will stand before God and we will be judged according to what we have done. And Matthew chapter 5, or chapter 25, sorry, gives us a pretty clear account of what this is going to look like. It says, He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then verse 46 closes. says, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Woo-wee! Aren't we going to have a lot of laughs and fun today? Well, we usually have a big idea every week in the teachings, but instead of a big idea this week, I'm going to give you a big fact of the day. Because the Bible's true, whether you choose to believe it or not, it says what it means and it means what it says. So here's the big fact of the day. You will choose to spend eternity in heaven or hell. You will choose to spend eternity In heaven or hell. So here's our eternal reality. We will die. We will be judged. We will be sentenced. And we will spend eternity in one of two places. Heaven or hell. But make no mistake about it. The choice will be ours to make. So for week one of our mini-series, I have been assigned to talk about hell. And I just want to thank Pastor Chris for picking heaven for his teaching next week and giving me hell, which is such an easy and fun subject to teach on. I mean, I'm hoping maybe he makes me do politics and money next because those are very popular subjects for church. But you know what? Truthfully, hell is an important topic. And and maybe it's the most important one of all. Jesus didn't ignore it. And we can't either. In fact, he talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. He mentioned hell in the Gospels 56 times, and he taught about heaven 24 times. Doesn't that tell you something? 
So today we're going to talk about the realities of hell. And I'm going to let you know now we're going to get a little deep. And I'm going to let you know now there's going to be a lot of scripture because there's no other way to explain hell. And it may even be a little unpleasant at times. But we're going to do this by answering three questions. What is hell? What is hell like? And the most important question, number three, is how can we avoid it? So question number one, what is hell? Well, first I need to go back to the scripture that I read earlier in Matthew chapter 25, specifically verse 41, where it says, Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. Now get this, prepared for the devil and his angels. So first you must understand that hell wasn't originally intended for us. So the answer to what is hell, it is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. What is hell? It is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Now the devil's angels are called demons. The devil, also known as Satan, who was once an angel named Lucifer, and he rebelled against God. And a third of the angels joined in this insurrection, and God cast them from heaven. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 10 says this, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan who leads the whole world astray. So Satan rebelled against God. And you know what started it all? Pride. It was all about pride. Listen to how Isaiah chapter 14 verses 12 and 15 describes this. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. So Lucifer wanted to be like God. He wanted to be above God. He wanted the glory. He wanted the authority and all the worship that belongs only to God. But Jesus commands us in Matthew 22, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Nobody... Not Satan, not the angels, not us. Nothing can ever be equal to God. Nothing can ever take the place of God. He's the creator. We're the created. Everything was made by God. Everything was made for God. And until we understand that, eternal realities really aren't going to make sense to us. It's all about God. It's all about God and it's all about his glory. There was a man who was 
very eager to meet his future son-in-law. You see, his daughter had gotten engaged unexpectedly, and this weekend would be his first time meeting him. And he told all his friends at work that he had a list of all these questions that he was going to ask this young man. So on Saturday morning, he invited his soon-to-be son-in-law out for a cup of coffee. And as they began to talk, the father quickly found himself asking the questions that were weighing on his mind. He said, do you have a job? How do you plan to support yourself and my daughter? The young man paused and he said, God will provide. The father then asked his second question. He said, well, where do you intend to live? Do you have a house or an apartment lined up for after the wedding? And the young man paused again and with much conviction, he said, God will provide. Well, the following Monday, well, the father waited a few minutes. He launched into a third question. He said, son, he said, do you have any money? Any savings? And again, the young man looked him in the eye. And again, he said, God will provide. So the following Monday, all the father's co-workers, they were curious to find out how it had gone with, with meeting his future son-in-law. And he looked at him and he smiled. And he said, I kind of like the kid. He thinks I'm God. Listen, it's easy for us to begin thinking like Satan did. It's easy for us to start thinking that we're our own God or for us to start putting things above God. It's easy for us to begin to worship things that we can see, things that we can feel. We let possessions and we let position and power and prestige and popularity become our God. Man, everyone, everyone has a God. Even atheists have a God. It's anything you put before God, it becomes your God and you will worship it. And Romans 2 verse 8 says, but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. So if you do what Satan and his angels do, then you go where Satan and his angels go. But hell wasn't intended for us. Remember Matthew chapter 25 verse 34 said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You see, that's That's what's prepared for us. That's what Pastor Chris is going to speak about next week. That's heaven. Hell is a place prepared for the devil and his demons. So now we know what hell is. What is hell like? Well, to answer this, I will read two scriptures to you. The first is 2 Thessalonians 1. Verse 8 and 9, it says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut off from the presence of the Lord 
and from the glory of his might. We will highlight shut off from the presence of the Lord. And we're going to maybe leave that scripture up. I don't know if this other one will fit on here. But I'm also going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. It says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be separated from God and lost forever. So what is hell like? Hell is total separation from God. That's the answer to what is hell like. It's total separation from God. Man, you have to imagine what total separation from God would look like. Man, it would be the exact opposite Of everything that God is. The Bible says God is good. So there would be nothing good in hell. Just bad. Very bad. The Bible tells us God is love. So there's no love in hell. The opposite of love is hate. But God's word also says perfect love casts out fear. So you take away love. And all you're left with is fear. The Bible tells us that God is light, so hell is darkness. In fact, Matthew chapter 25 verse 30 says, And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, that verse alone, that verse alone describes what people suffer In hell, besides darkness, there's going to be people crying out in physical pain so immense that you have to grit your teeth. Think of things that's happened in your life where you've had pain. Have you ever had a broken bone? Or if you've been burnt before? I had a kidney stone one time, had me doubled over and I was gritting my teeth because the pain was so bad. Or like when I first heard the news of what happened to those little girls in Delphi. I mean, I remember remember seeing that on the news, hearing that on the news, and just gritting my teeth in horror. And I'm thinking, how could something like this happen? This is unimaginable. Luke 16, verses 23 through 31, describe it as a place where people scream out for mercy. They have memories. They're tormented. They feel alone. They cannot escape. Mark chapter 3, verse 29, describes it as a place of eternal damnation. Revelation 14, 10 lets us know it's a place where God's wrath is poured out. Mark 9 verse 48 says it's a place of unquenchable fire. And if if anyone's ever read the story of the rich man Lazarus, you remember he was tormented in the flame. So hell will be unbearable pain. Hell will be unimaginable fear. And hell will be gut-wrenching loneliness. 
When I was putting this teaching together, I had some images. I thought, I'm going to put up on the screen when I'm going through that. And then I thought, how am I going to match that? Plus, there's kids in here. And I got a feeling you guys get the picture. But do you know what else hell will be full of? Regret. Regret. Because the person in hell will realize it's their own fault. That they're there. Remember the big fact of the day? You will choose to spend eternity in heaven or hell. The person that chooses to have nothing to do with God now in this life will have that choice honored in the next. There'll be total separation from Him. God will let you have your choice. Man, I... It's just, to me, that's scary stuff. I mean, that is scary stuff. And when you understand what hell is really like, I mean, you almost kind of understand where those overbearing bullhorn, turn or burn people are coming from. Because you would never want anyone to ever experience something like this. You would never want your family, you would never want your loved ones, you would never want any of your friends to ever have to go through that. Which leads us into our last eternal reality of hell. And it's the third and final question and the one that I think may be the most important. Number three... How can we avoid it? A pastor was doing a teaching to children and he began to ask them questions. He said, if I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all my money away to church, would that get me into heaven? No, all the children answered. Well, what if I cleaned the church every day and I, I mowed the lawn? Would that get me into heaven? No, all the children answered. Well, what if I was kind to animals and I gave candy away and I loved my family? Would that get me into heaven? And again, they all shouted, no. Well, finally, he asked, then how do I get into the kingdom of God? And this little five-year-old shouted, you got to be dead. (laughs) And that little boy is partly right. But there's also one more requirement. Now for this, I want to go to Revelation. That scary book. In the back of the Bible. I want to go to Revelation chapter 20, which was the vision that Jesus gave to the Apostle John about the judgment. And in verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. 
And verse 15 says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So again, the Bible is clear. To avoid hell, our names must be written in the book of life. To avoid hell, our names must be written in the book of life. So what exactly is the book of life? And what are these other books that are mentioned? Because notice it said books. That's plural. And then it mentions book of life. Now, quite honestly, I've always been fascinated with this. I've done a lot of studying on it because I'm fascinated with it. Now, I know, like anybody... I have no way of being 100% certain here. But I do feel like as I've prayed and as I've studied, the way that I'm going to explain this is how God led me to do this today. So I believe there's three books that will be opened on Judgment Day, and one book will be this book. It will be the Holy Bible, because this is God's holy standard And it reveals man's universal sinfulness and the redemptive work of Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, The one who rejects me and doesn't accept my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So I think the Bible will be one of the books open because it's God's holy standard by which we are judged. The other one of the books that was plural that will be opened will be the book that has a record of everything we have ever said, ever thought about, and ever done. You see, our life's decisions, our life's actions will be recorded in this book. All the good, all the bad. Luke chapter 8 verse 17 says, for nothing is hidden That will not be disclosed, nor is anything secret that will not become known and come to life. So we have the Bible. We have the book that is the account of our lives. And the last book is what the Bible calls the book of life. And the book of life is a registry for those who have accepted Jesus Christ. Now to understand this. You have to realize that because God is a holy God. God is a holy God, so nothing unrighteous is allowed in heaven. To be righteous means to be sinless. So nothing, nothing impure can be in His presence. Meaning, we have to be perfect and we have to be sinless To make it into heaven. Well, the problem is Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, this wasn't always the case when God created the world. It was perfect. You can go back in Genesis. You can read about it. 
when he created Adam and Eve. They were sinless. But sin entered the world and tainted everything in it. When Satan, after being banned from heaven, he tempted Eve to eat from the forbidden fruit. The one thing God said was off limits. The one thing that God said not to do, Satan made her question God. Did he really say that? And then he told her, if she eats of it, she'll be like God. Remember, that's the one thing that got Satan banished in the first place. And like Adam and Eve, we have been given free will. Free will is the ability to choose. Free will is God's greatest blessing, but it's also our greatest curse. Because why does God give us free will? Well, remember, we were created for God to love us and for us to love God. But we have to choose to love God, not be forced to love. Love isn't real if, it, if you're made to do it, if it's forced. So because of sin entering the world and we having a choice to indulge in it, we make decisions that go against God's grand plan. And there is an account kept of all of those decisions. And no amount of good things that we've done are going to erase the sinful acts that we've committed. And God is a just God. He must punish wrong. He must punish sin. Remember, God didn't even give his angels a pass when they sinned. Romans 6 verse 23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death. Now, thankfully for us, God loves us so much that he stepped in to save us. And the most popular verse in the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16, tells us how. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So Jesus sent His Son. or God, He sent His Son, Jesus, who lived the perfect life that we can't, to suffer the punishment that we deserve. You see, He took our place. Jesus took our place by dying on the cross and being resurrected, which is why we celebrate Easter. He made a way for us to avoid eternal damnation. It's like a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's a grace card. And the only stipulation to this is you have to accept what he did. You have to accept what he did for you. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now that's, that's more though than just believing in Jesus because heck, even the demons believe in Jesus 
I mean, even atheists can dig up historical records and see that Jesus existed. Believe here means more than head knowledge. It means you say yes to Jesus. You say yes to him. It's like this It's like this bottle of water. I mean, I can hold it in my hand. Being freely aware that it's water, aware of its chemical makeup, knowing that it's been offered freely to me and that it's mine to quench my thirst. But if, if I do not take a drink of it, it has no value to me. It has no benefit to me. It's my choice. We have to say yes to Jesus. We have to accept what he has done for us because that's how we trade. That's how we trade our unrighteousness for his righteousness, which enables us then to stand before God with clean hands and a pure heart, free from accusations, free from condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1 tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So to bring this full circle here now for you. With this acceptance... Of what Jesus has done, no longer does the account of our lives in the second book have to measure up to the standard of the first book. We are now judged not by what we have done, but by what He has done. The one who says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thus allowing our names to be written in the book of life. You see, that's why they call it the good news. A doctor calls up his patient. And he says, I got some good news and I got some bad news for you. Which would you like first? Patient said, well, I guess the good news Doctor said, you have 24 hours to live. Patient said, 24 hours to live? Then what's the bad news? The doctor said, I tried to reach you yesterday. (laughs) Friends, don't miss out on this news. Don't miss out on this news. Because you will... Regret it. You will regret it. Only a fool goes through life unprepared for what you know is going to happen. You will die at some point. And when this happens, your decision's sealed. There's no more chances. Friends, there's no more opportunities. Jesus came to save everyone, but not everyone will be saved. And if you end up in hell, 
It's not because of something you did. It's because of something you failed to do. And that's accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The choice is yours. That's your eternal reality. Let's stand up for closing prayer. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear God, Father God, we, we stand before you right now. God, we're thankful for your word and, and we're thankful for your promise. God, thank you for loving us so much that you gave up so much at such a great cost to save us. You say in Romans 10 verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if there's anyone here today that has not said yes to Jesus Christ and you'd like to make that choice today, or anyone here that's just unsure if they've ever made that decision, don't think, no. I invite you to repeat this prayer after me, declaring with our mouths together, Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness for the things I've done. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead to bring me new life. I confess Him now as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to Him. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.